0: Audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either nine or ten thirty a.m. No, as I said many, many times, growing, whether it be spiritually or physically, means change. And I'll tell you something: uh, I've I've reached the the ripe age of forty-five. 45 this year, and I will tell you, now that I am 45, I don't think it's too old, but when I was 22, it seemed ancient. I mean, do I got some some 40-somethings in here who who can kind of agree with that? You know, at at, at 41, 42, (laughs) I see people pointing at spouses, all right. Um, uh, Like, like that's that's like, I mean, it's not like we don't think we're going to get there, it's just going to be eons away before we get there and before you know it. You're there. And then you realize things tend to change just a little bit. Uh, I didn't get married till a little bit later in life. I was almost 30 years old uh, before I got married. So, and, and then Donna and I, I mean, she, she was a, like a, an exercise gym rat nut person. All right, And I, I did a little bit of that myself. And then we got married and we did that together. And then we had our first daughter and it like stopped. I mean, it just like stopped. So that stopped long about the age of 30 or 31. And then just this year, as I turned 45, matter of fact, within just a few weeks of turning 45, we started again. And I realized a lot had changed in 15 years. And some of, the th- the, some of these, now I expected some of them, but some of them I did not. Now I'm going to get a little personal here. So I hope that you'll bear with me just for a second. There's a reason why I'm doing this. One of the ways in which I had changed in 15 years was I didn't know if you realize this or not, if your biology teacher taught you this, but sweat glands as you move, as you age, they move. They move to a different part of your body. And what I mean by that is when I was like 20, 21, 22, 26 years old, I'd sweat and like it'd come through shirt and across the shoulders across the chest, you know, across the top of the back, maybe just down about that far. And not like, like, like down the, below that is like dry, but up there it's just like, like wet, you know? And then what I realized when I was 45 and I went back to the gym, that all those sweat glands moved from here and they all moved right here. And I did not know that that is a biological thing that happens. They literally just move. And something else I found out I found out when you're 45 years old, your sweat smells different. The first time I went to the gym, got on the treadmill, and really, really worked hard on the treadmill, I was like, "Like, man, this place kind of smells, you know? And then I realized it's following me. I mean, no matter where I go, it, it's, it's coming with me. And then, it's not a smell. It's a stench. I mean, It is. It is, and it brought me to the point of like, I don't, if I'm there by myself, I'll put the fan there because when you're my age and you're running on a treadmill, you want a fan, you do. But if there's anybody else there, you don't want that air circulating in there, okay? So you leave the fan off, which just makes you sweat more on your stomach because that's where you sweat. And it, it's just crazy how that works. Aging, it's fun, isn't it? People, isn't it fun? See young people, which you got to look forward to, because it's coming for you. It's coming. Let me ask you this question. Many of us are beginning to realize more and more what physical aging does and how it looks. Let me ask you this. What does spiritual aging look like? What does spiritual aging look like? What is it supposed to look like? you look to the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, you will find this out. The church began amongst one group of people, one ethnic group of people, and they were Jews. That's where the church started. Now, thankfully, for the vast majority of us in this room, probably, who are Gentiles, it branched out beyond the Jews. But some of the early Jewish Christians, they had a very difficult time leaving the law behind. Law. We're going to talk a lot today, brothers and sisters, about the law. And for the Jewish Christians, spiritual maturity for them meant in part realizing that the law always pointed towards Christ. Always. That was the purpose. Long before Jesus came, even then, the law pointed towards the coming Jesus. Right? And Paul makes that very, very clear. We're going to start in Romans today. Romans chapter 3. As I told you, be prepared. We're going to bounce around quite a bit. Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 28. If you do not have this, if you write in your Bible, right? some of you don't, and that's fine, although I encourage you to write in your Bible. It, it is, it's a powerful book, but it is ink- and paper, and we can write in, and it's it's not breaking any of God's laws to write in your Bible, all right? So if you do that, and you get to verse 28, and you don't have this starred, highlighted, or underlined, do it, please. That's how important it is. And this is what it says. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, I, I've told you many times, and this is one of the places it's, you can do this. Many times in the New Testament, when you see the word faith, you can remove that word, not necessarily remove it, because it's not a bad word, it's a great word, but you could replace it with trust, okay? So a man is justified by trust. We as Christians are justified by our trust in God rather than works maintaining or doing works of the law so just to be clear we need to make a def- definition here. we need to define this morning because we're going to spend a lot of time on it the law so the best way to do that is go right to the source so leave romans and go to exodus the second book in your bible and go specifically to exodus chapter 20 i'm going to go ahead and start on it when i get here because we've got quite a bit to read here so if, if you get not quite there yet turn there and catch up with me okay Exodus chapter 20, we're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to read for a little while here. And this is what it says. Then God, yes, God, him, all right? Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth. On the earth, beneath, or in the water, beneath, or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations, to those of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands. Those who, keep, those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. "'For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth "'and the sea that all that is in them "'and rested on the seventh day. "'Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day "'and made it holy. "'Honor your father and mother.' That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. We have a name for these, do we not? The Ten Commandments that were given by God to Moses to give to the people of Israel. But that is not all of the law. The written law found in the Torah, which is the first five books of our Old Testament, was made up of 613 written laws. 613. And the Ten Commandments, if you will, is kind of a summary of that. We like summaries, don't we? I'm a big fan of summaries, okay? So at the core of that, you have these Ten Commandments. Now here's the question. When it comes to us and the law, we need to figure out what it's for. Because this is the question. Is it still relevant to us as followers of Jesus? Is the law, the commandments of God still, are they still relevant for us as we follow Jesus Christ? So if we're going to ask that question, I think where we need to go first of all is, what did Jesus say about the law? What did Jesus say about the law? Now leave the second book of the Old Testament and go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And more specifically, Matthew chapter 5. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter five, what we will see is this. Jesus is in his Sermon on the Mount. This is his longest recorded sermon. Now understand, what we have in this Sermon on the Mount is probably not the whole of it. It's probably in and of itself somewhat of a summary, okay? But it's still pretty long. It covers three chapters of scripture. And within this, there is a lot in this Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting where Jesus chooses to begin this Sermon on the Mount, getting at the inside, the core of everything that is, there is about us. So we're gonna start chapter five, verse 17. Thinking again, Jesus and the law. And here's what it says. Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. By the way, when you say the law and the prophets, basically it's Jesus saying all of the Old Testament scripture. right? Our Old Testament so let's start that again. Do not think I do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven now understand something brothers and sisters as jesus spoke this message he was speaking it exclusively to jews jewish people so understand this what he just said and the last thing i just read there they had they had no problem with the first parts so of now that fulfillment thing that's kind of heavy weighted there all right But what got their attention even more than that, the radical word spoken by Jesus to this group was this. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to be a part of my kingdom. There was, understand this, in the mind of the people Jesus is saying this to, there is no one more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. They took it to such an extent that they tithed the smallest seeds in their garden to the Lord. They were the righteous ones. And what did Jesus say about these righteous elite of the Jewish community? Unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you're not going to be a part of my kingdom. Now, Jesus will later on go into more detail about that and what the issue was going on with those scribes and Pharisees. But he, just, he doesn't touch it here. He just throws that bomb and leaves it alone. And, and that just started to stir things up. Now he's got their attention, all right? So let's see what he says next. We're just going to look at a few verses here all out of Matthew chapter 5 and see what they might have thought about him and what we think about him. Here's the first one, chapter 5, verses 21, 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay. Let's let's continue on. Let's 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 jump down a little bit and I don't want let let's look I almost skipped one of them here. We don't want to skip anything. What about this one, verse 27? Guys, I think we need to have our ears turned on to this one just a little bit because I'm a guy I don't I don't I've been told that guys and gals think differently. And that's kind of what I I kind of think that's true, you know, you get married, you figure that out very quickly, all right? And, and I don't know how women think because I'm a guy, but I know that this speaks to guys for sure. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Uh, let's, let's drop down to, to another one. How, how, how about this one? Verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You think, you think divorce was just a thing going on in, in this society? It was more rampant then than it is now. There some strong words there. Man, we could spend days and sermons just talking, but we're not done yet. What about 538? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person who slaps you on your right cheek, but who... Oh, I messed that up. Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So, Jesus first of all said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And he follows that with this. He took the law and he made it more difficult to live out. Goodness gracious. To make it a little easier for us, I told you we like summaries, right? Jesus would summarize the law even a little bit more. Now, you can find this all over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, more specifically Matthew, but we're going to look at the Mark passage because it's just one of my favorite passages from the the gospel. So turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. As you're turning there, um, I'll just give you a little heads up what's going on here. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and they were coming at him with both barrels, all right, and... It didn't work very well, trying to trap him within his words and so on and so forth. And Jesus had just gotten through putting the Sadducees in their place. Understand something about the religious hierarchy of the Jews, that the religious, the religious people were also kind of political, right? Uh, there, there wasn't much difference between those two things. Um, so within that religious hierarchy, you just like kind of today in the United States, you had two parties. I mean, in our, in our society, you got Republicans, you got Democrats. Them, they had Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? Pharisees believed that there's a resurrection. Sadducees did not. And probably you might have heard that before. If you don't, you can remember it now. They were sad, you see, because they did not believe there was a resurrection. Okay? Now, Jesus just got through putting the Sadducees in their place saying, uh, there is a resurrection. Did you not read the Old Testament, that scripture? God is, he is the God of the living, not the dead, okay? And we're talking about the patriarchs here. Okay, so that's a whole different thing. So he just put them in their place so one of the Pharisees speaks up. And let's see what he says. This is one of my favorite little chunks of scripture that I would love to have the Paul Harvey on, the rest of the story, but we don't get it. Okay, again, Mark chapter 12 beginning with verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that Jesus, he, had answered them well, he asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind And with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The scribe said to him. Write teacher. You have truly stated that he is one. And there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart. And with all the understanding. And with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as himself. Is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. I'd love to know the rest of the story about that guy. All right? I just really, really would. But the point being made is here, is Jesus summarized the law into two aspects, and it's this. If we desire to keep the law, all we have to do is love God and love our neighbor. Piece of cake, right? No problems there. If you're a note taker, get these next three things, okay? Okay? as we wrap up with Jesus and the law here. When it comes to Jesus and the law, there are three important facts that we can never forget. We have to remember them, okay? Number one is this. Jesus did not discount the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He came to do what? Fulfill it. Okay, number two, he made it perfectly clear with his Sermon on the Mount that no one can keep the law perfectly there any who had maybe this thing in their brain that they could do it he blew that up with that sermon right number two he made it perfectly clear that no one can keep the law perfectly and number three except him except Jesus Jesus lived it out he lived out the law without one single failure And in that way, in part, he fulfilled it. Okay. There's something we need to understand. We have our minds locked around this fact that it took God to die in order for us to have a path to God. For us to be saved. And that is so very true. But there was more to it than Jesus just being divine. He came here and he lived a perfectly righteous life. 33 years of it. In the flesh. In these bodies that argue with us. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear. There is no way in which anybody in this room has been tempted that Jesus did not experience. And he, it. he overcame it all. And thank God he did or we would have no hope whatsoever. You see, the wages of breaking the law, it's, that's called sin. And the wages of that is death. But by Jesus fulfilling the law, this made him worthy to pay the, our penalty for breaking the law. So when we come to Jesus, are we done with the law? After all, Jesus fulfilled it. Without Jesus, we're doomed. But if we have Jesus, what's the point of the law? Is the law ancient history? Paul makes it really, really clear. We looked at Romans. We're not going to turn back there now. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. At the beginning of Romans... Paul makes it really, really clear that the Jews, the people of Israel, their name kind of got, in that period of silence, kind of got named, well, shortly before that, around the Babylonian captivity, and in that time frame, they kind of started to become named the, the Jews, those of Jerusalem, all right? They are the people of Israel. And in Romans, Paul makes it very clear that the Jews were privileged. They were the chosen people of God. God chose them to bring his law to the world through, as a people group. And not only that, God chose them to bring the Messiah through as well. So they are an incredibly privileged people. He chose them to bring the law. Moses brought the law. We're not Jews, are we? The law points us towards Jesus. Without Jesus, we're doomed. Is that all the law is for? What about keeping the law? Are we, as Christians, followers of Jesus, supposed to keep the law? 613 commandments? Now, I'd be willing to bet that maybe there's some of us in this room that could get up here, some of you could quote the Ten Commandments. I'm hoping some of you 5th and 6th graders could because you were out at camp with us, and many of you... Okay, I'm a little bit of a competitive person. That's why it's so hard to be a KU football fan, all right? so But but I'm a little bit of a competitive person. So when I'm a family group leader at at camp, I want to win, okay? And the way you win at camp is not by, I could care. You keep the athletes. I want the nerds, all right? You send them to me because I'm telling you, man, you do that memory work, oh boy. All right, I want to be the top, okay? That's... You bring, you bring them to me, those memorizers. I want them. And we've even got special ways that we, oh, I'm gonna let a secret out of the bag. Oh, shoot. You guys will forget this. You can't help us by the time next, because I want to whoop your tails you if you're a family leader of another team. Um, but we've got special ways to help them remember how to remember the Ten Commandments. You can get a lot of points for that. You know what I'm saying? So I would hope there's a few people we could get up here, put on this stage, and rattle off the Ten Commandments. How many of you could do 613. How many points you get at camp for that? Goodness gracious. The written law, 613 commandments. Are we supposed to keep those? Here's a question for you. Have we outgrown the law because we're in Christ? Now stay with me for a second here. We we live under the authority, the rule of grace, Right? We don't live under the authority, the rule of the law. So have we outgrown the law because we are followers of Jesus? Okay, for just a moment, I want us to leave out this thought of outgrown behind. And think of something else. Instead of outgrown," what do you think of when I say this word? Overgrown? Overgrown. Not outgrown. Overgrown. I mean, does something different pop into your mind? Now, I think of outgrown," I'm like, "I outgrew my shoes." OK? Overgrown, I don't think of shoes. I think of something. Very much different. I think, of, I think of a lawn that hasn't been mowed in a while. Or maybe perhaps a, a farm that hasn't been taken care of. Or a pasture. You know, my cattle people out there, pasture hasn't been brush hogged. You know, you know what happens if you don't do that. You end up all this junk growing up out there. It gets, it gets overgrown. And, and so when I think overgrown, where my mind goes is this. Unkept. My wife will tell you she's not a fan of an overgrown beard, okay? And the only way that I can keep this thing on my face is by doing what she tells me to when it comes to this thing, all right? That means trimming it once a week. And if not, it's gone. Guys, happy wife, happy life, okay? You can call me a pansy if you want, all right? But what she would say is, that thing's unkept. Now, she might not use that terminology Specifically, but it's what's going on up here. Let me ask you this. What is the result of the unkept life of the follower of Jesus? Let's think about that for a moment. What is the result of the unkept Kept spiritual life of the follower of Jesus. You know what the result is? Spiritual stench. I'm not talking about smell here. I'm talking about stench. And you know what happens when somebody has a spiritual stench? Same thing that happens to me at the gym. Like I turn the fan off and I stay in my own little corner over here. Like if there's anybody over there at all, I'm not going close to them. I'm going to stay here by myself. And you know what happens spiritually speaking? When we're living an unkept life, it happens every time. This is us. We isolate ourselves. Because when we're up here in the group whether that's really happening or not, we feel like we have a stench. I don't like that, so I'll just, I'll just, I'll just get away from my brothers and my sisters. I avoid others. You know what the unkept life. Of the believer is it's 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 a result of of a a disregard for God's law. Okay, so preacher, are you telling me I need to keep, keep the Ten Commandments? Is that what you're telling me? No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is this: Listen closely. There is no better way to live life in this world than to really, really live by loving God fully and loving people. For the follower of Jesus Christ, that's the only way to live. If if you and I are to love, if we're going to love God fully, what was that? All our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Is there anything left? I mean, if we are to love God fully, and not only that, but to love our neighbor, to love people, is there any part of my personal, private, or public life that will not be affected? If I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love people, is there any part of my life that will not be affected? So, okay, okay do I need to do the Ten Commandments? <laughs> do you need to love God? Do you need to love people? You know the first four commandments are about the way we love God. The last six, the way we love each other. It's the followers of Jesus who do this that God can do something amazing with. Is our salvation reliant upon whether or not we love God fully and love people like we should? Is our salvation reliant upon that? Boy, that one's been debated a long time. We can never remove ourselves from the umbrella of God's patience and grace. But if we want to be used by God, we're going to love him with everything that we are. And we're going to love people the way we should. Following Jesus isn't complicated. It's not. It seems like no matter what we do, what subject we tackle when it comes to Sundays? It's so funny. We, it seems like we always come full circle back to the same place. It's not complicated. Love God and love people. Love people that are hard to love. Love people at home. Love people at work. Students love people at school. Love people that despise you. Love people that ridicule you. Love people who will hurt you if they have the opportunity. Love that book of Romans, you know. Romans chapter 5, David Hershey's favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I'm going I'm to smash several verses together here, okay? Because we do like summaries. While we were the enemies of Christ, while we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. Love our enemies. Because God loved us first. First. When we didn't deserve it. We come to our time of communion. Brothers and sisters. And it's a time for a couple of things. First of all. It's a time to thank God. For his patience. For his love. For us. For the sacrifice. Of Jesus Christ. On a cross. So that we might be made. Worthy of spending an eternity in God's presence. We must understand that in any love relationship, and that's what it is, our God loves us, we love him. Gratitude always plays a huge role. The moment we stop being grateful is the moment our hearts begin to become hard. And when we come to our time of communion, we remember what our God did for us and we thank him for it. But Paul also made it very, very clear in 1 Corinthians that we examine what's going on in here. And the way we're living too. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. How well am I doing this loving people thing? We can't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit that resides within the follower of Jesus Christ is the only way to love some people in this world. And if we truly love people around us, it is going to change the way we treat them, the respect we show them, and the words we say to them.